Hey there, memers. Welcome back to a podcast about self-help using memes. I'm your host, Blake Moore. Today's episode is Caveman Problems 2, More Ways Our Brains Work Against Us. I've got a fresh new batch of ways your brain might have been helping you when you lived in a cave, but hurting you now in 2022. You may not even realize you're doing some of these. They're that ingrained in your life and thought processes. Uh, let's get into it. <laughs> Welcome back, memers. Uh, this is the second episode about caveman brain problems, so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, it's also probably worth pointing out that since this is episode two of caveman brain problems, you'll get more details and explanation if you care to go back and grab uh, part one before you listen to this. Uh, but to explain, today we're going to talk about a few ways that our brains haven't really caught up to modern decision making. Um, processes that are left over from how our brains worked when we lived in caves and were just strictly hunter-gatherers and had none of the societal structure we have in place. For this episode, we're going to talk about loss aversion. Um, that's the idea that if you were going to lose something, it feels worse than not gaining a reciprocal amount. Uh, the second thing we'll talk about is the sunk cost fallacy, which is the idea that you can waste money or time or effort on lost causes. We'll talk about imposter syndrome, which is the idea that you may not be willing to accept that you're actually good at something, like you're an imposter and you're waiting to be found out. And the last thing we'll cover in this episode is false dichotomies, um, being presented with or choices that are really more than two things. Before we get into that, um, let's get into our meme of the day. So first up is the meme of the day. Um, by meme, I mean the social science concept, not the internet frog, although that frog is a meme. Um, when I say meme, I mean an idea, a behavior, or style that spreads by means of imitation from person to person within a culture and often carries symbolic meaning representing a particular phenomenon or theme. Um, I cannot claim to have invented that definition. Please Google it. Um, with that definition, uh, our meme today is the Power Rangers, like the 90s TV show. Um, the Power Rangers is a meme, but so are all the different kinds of Power Rangers. There were some with dinosaurs and some in space. Um, so is the Japanese TV show that Power Rangers took all of that action footage from. So are all the things like Power Rangers. So like Voltron and their giant robots or Scooby-Doo, which is also a gang of people that solve problems, right? All of those things are individual memes. They are also related to the other memes. They're partially related in things like Scooby-Doo and Voltron, right? But all of those things are memes. So with our meme of the day out of the way, um, let's get into some caveman problems. First up is loss aversion. So loss aversion is the idea that it hurts more to lose something than it does to not gain something even when those should be equivalent. Um, and so the example that I'll use is a $100 bill. Social scientists that are far smarter than me have set up experiments to demonstrate the following. It hurts worse emotionally, or it feels worse, however you want to think of it. But it hurts worse to lose $100 that is in your purse or a wallet than it does to have never had it at all. And so human beings structure their choices in such a way to avoid loss. Um, and so these studies typically happen with things like coffee cups. Um, 
the way that they would do that, as so often psychology studies do, is that they would get groups of students who wanted to make some money and bring them in for experiments. And for this specific experiment, they were basically asked to assign the value to ob value to objects. In the example I'm thinking of, it's a coffee cup. And so they value the objects independently. They value the objects while they have them. They value the objects while other people have them. Um, they exchange them for money. And so through all of that, the basic conclusion is human beings just act in a way to avoid loss, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense. And so the reason that this is mentioned here um, is because loss aversion makes us make irrational choices to avoid losing things. And so the lesson to take from loss aversion or the reason that it's in a self-help podcast is to understand that not all losses are bad. Don't always act to avoid losing something or to keep something from happening because that's not always necessarily the right choice. So the Second thing we want to talk about in a uh, caveman problems too is the sunk cost fallacy. Um, I had the good fortune of learning about the sunk cost fallacy uh, when I was learning about poker. Um, I have played a lot of, of poker, specifically Texas Hold'em. And if you've ever tried to learn poker, like really study the materials and try to get good at it, um, there's a very famous poker player named Doyle Brunson who passed away a long time ago. But he wrote a book called Super System, and it was basically Doyle. Brunson's Guide to Poker. Um, there's a Super System 2, but I would recommend that a lot less than I would recommend Super System 1. But one of the things that uh, Mr. Brunson teaches in Super System is this idea. I mean, I, I don't know if he calls it the sunk cost fallacy. I, I think he probably does. But the way Doyle Brunson phrased it is, don't put good money in after bad. Um, and so to contextualize that in terms of poker, imagine that you've been bluffing for a while and you've got a bunch of money out in the middle. Um, and the only way to try and win that money is to put more money in, right? You have to make a big bet. Mr. Brunson's advice is just because that money's already out there in the middle doesn't mean that it makes sense to push more money out to try and get it because then you're just losing more money overall. Um, the lesson from this in poker is that there is kind of a mathematical tipping point where it is the right or wrong thing to do. Um, it's not necessarily as clean in real life. It's a poker example. But when I talk about the sunk cost fallacy, I'd like for you to picture that in a much broader sense. So when I talk about the sunk cost fallacy, I'm applying that to work. I'm applying that to people in your life. I'm applying that to emotions in my brain. Um, so when Mr. Brunson says, don't throw good money in after bad, if you're going to apply that to your work experience, that's an argument for not going to a job you don't like anymore. Find another one. Don't throw good money in after bad. Just because you've wasted a year or six months or whatever there doesn't mean you need to waste another year or six months. The same is true of relationships. Don't throw good money in after bad. If you've been trying to fix a particular problem with your significant other or spouse and they're just not hearing it, it may be worth evaluating all of the effort that you're putting into that relationship. But with the sunk cost fallacy, you do have to make sure that you don't fall victim to reviewing past mistakes with your present knowledge because a really easy trap to fall into is to look at the results of your decisions 
and then decide if they are good decisions. And we call that results-based decision-making. What you should really do is make the best decision you can at the time and understand that it's not always going to work out. Um, and so when you can do that and not do results-based decision-making, you can then make better choices um, in the moment, knowing that they won't always work out. Um, and so the, the end of the sunk cost fallacy section is just to understand that if you, you shouldn't put good money in after bad, understand that you are good money, like your your ideas and your thoughts and your likes and your dislikes. Even if you don't view yourself as good money, perhaps you have self-confidence issues or you don't think you have much to contribute, you're kind of the only money that you've got, right? The casino is not going to give you different chips. So you should treat it like it's good money, even if you don't think it's good money. So imposter syndrome is is pretty straightforward. Uh, it, it's the pervasive idea that you are an imposter. Um, this comes from the notion that it is hard for brains to accept praise. So for example, if I did a great job at work and my boss comes up to me and says, Blake, you did a great job. Thank you. And they walk away and I start thinking, but I, I didn't really do that good of a job. There's all these things that I could have done better. I don't, I don't really know why my boss would walk up to me and say that I did a good job because all this stuff's still wrong, right? My, my brain's incapable of accepting the nice thing or the compliment that someone just said about me. Um, and instead, I go directly to wondering why they do something like that. The easiest answer is because you're good at what you're doing, so you should accept the praise. Um, but accepting praise is hard. Uh, and so I have a couple practical pieces of advice, but then also just some examples of where I've seen imposter syndrome in myself and in others. Um, and so imposter syndrome can kind of be countered um, by considering the frequency and the source of your feedback. And so if it's somebody that constantly hypes everyone up, you know that their feedback toward you might be less genuine. Or if it's somebody who never gives you a compliment and they do, you can probably know that it's even more genuine. Um, but consider the source of your feedback and then decide whether it's, it's true or, or real. Um, two examples of imposter syndrome that I've seen in, in my life. Uh, the first is, is me. Um, when I was a kid, I entered a, a young authors contest where you basically had to like draw pictures in a blank book and make up a story. Um, I still remember the exact story that I wrote and the pictures that I drew. And I remembered how much I hated it. It was basically like a riff on Superman. Um, but all the characters were candy bars. And so one was made out of like Twix or Hershey's or something. And the whole time I hated it. I thought it was like derivative junk that was clearly just ripping off Superman. Um, but it turns out it literally won. Um, it was the best book that anybody in my grade had written. Um, and I remember standing in the award ceremony thinking, how am I getting an award? This isn't good. Like imposter syndrome was so pervasive in my brain that they were literally giving me an award. And I wondered why. Um, and so sometimes it's good. And I, I definitely didn't realize that as a kid. That's that's some hindsight examination of, of my childhood behavior. But the lesson that I take from that is it doesn't always have to be the best I can make or it 
the best that I can make doesn't always have to be perfect to compete with what other people make. Um, and so the second example I give of imposter syndrome is actually in the workplace. Um, I've had coworkers in the past who I legitimately think are amazing at their job and smart and good at what they do and capable and could be successful in one of a hundred different careers. But every time I say that out loud to them, I guess they think I'm just being disingenuous or nice or blowing smoke. Um, but I, I've seen them dismiss really direct compliments and encouragement in just like a bashful shucks, it can't be true kind of way, right? So um, I, I have experienced imposter syndrome. If you think harder about times when you've been given praise, you may also experience that. Um, but imposter syndrome's workable. You just have to think about who's giving you the praise and why. And so the, the last kind of way that our brain works against us for this episode is the concept of, of fake choices or, or false dichotomies. Um, a, a false dichotomy is the term when a fake choice between two things is presented as the only way to resolve the conflict between them. Um, for example, one I might give to my kids is, um, would you like to take a bath at 6.30 or at 7? Like we, we both know there are lots of bath times between 6.30 and 7. Like there's 6.15 or 7.15, right? You, you could pick a bunch of other times. You could take it in the morning or the night. But that's not what I said. I said, do you want to do it at 6.30 or at 7? Um, because when you give kids choices, you, you try not to let them pick things you don't want them to pick, right? Um, one of my very favorite commercials is for taco shells. Um, there's a, a very sad family who can't decide if on that day they'd like to eat crunchy tacos or soft-shelled tacos. Instead of eating anything in true commercial fashion, they just kind of sit around sad about their inability to make a choice. And then from the shadows, a hero emerges um, amongst all of the sad, hungry grown-ups. A little girl pipes up and goes, Por que no los dos, um, which just means why not both? Um, her, her suggestion's pretty simple. Instead of agonizing over those two choices, why can't we just do a bit of each? Um, that's just her pointing out the false dichotomy at play. She, she could have also said, just eat a burrito bowl or a taco salad, right? It's not crunchy or soft. It's crunchy and soft and all the other choices. She says, let's let's do both right um that could have just as easily been a commercial for rice to like make a burrito bowl or, or like lettuce to make a taco salad but it wasn't um those are pretty standard ways to eat eat that same stuff um my lesson from the commercial about tacos is this just because you're presented with a set of two choices doesn't mean you have to pick one of them um it especially doesn't mean that when you pick one the other goes away entirely. It gets framed that way in arguments and conversations as an appeal to your emotion or like sense of urgency or a desire to mitigate loss. But it's really just manipulating you into making choices that you don't have to. Um, don't let someone else trick you into thinking you have to make one of a limited set of choices. Um, think of it like a salesperson trying to talk you into one of the four different car models the dealership sells. The, the implication is that you should pick one from the four models that they offer. The reality is that there's way more than four models. They just don't stock the other ones that you want and don't want you to shop somewhere else, right? And so we, we can see false dichotomies at play in lots of places, uh, specifically in, in that example, uh, sales. So thanks for sticking around for this one. Um, today, we got our second batch of human brain shortcomings to work around. Um, we talked about loss aversion, the sunk cost fallacy, as well as how to spot and create false dichotomies for fun and profit. 
Um, there's a lot more to cover here. So keep an eye out for more stuff like this. Um, if you'd like to see more content or talk about other folks who like this podcast or talk with other folks who like this podcast, um, check out the subreddit at uh, slash r slash self help using memes um, or my Twitter account. That's actually just at Blake writing. Until um, next time, memers. This has been a podcast about self help using memes. Thanks for listening.